Okay, so this was five out of six. Um, are the following actions on Shabbos prohibited biblically, prohibited rabbinically, or permitted? Um, I think people overall did well. Um, there was one question that I think caused some confusion for people for um, an understandable reason, and we're going to try to address that today. Everyone did really well on the grama ones because that was what we did right before the quiz. Um, so the first one, a motorized wheelchair is programmed to attempt to move forward every 30 seconds, but a non-electric brake is in place. You release the brake, and it moves forward after a few seconds. That is? And therefore is? Derabanan. So that, that, that one was relatively straightforward. Um, carrying a ball in your left hand in a public domain that is not surrounded by walls is? Deoraisa. That is a biblical prohibition because we said that carrying with your left hand is not a shinui. It, does not, it is not an inferior way to do it. It does not produce an inferior product. Um, so the left, ball, left, left hand carrying of a ball does not do anything. Um, the third one was the one that had the most confusion for people, and I understand why it had confusion for people. I'm going to explain why it caused the confusion, and then we'll see the question itself. We dealt with three potential loopholes, right? Amira la'akum, shinui, and grama. But, just getting the marker. They do different things. Amira la'akum, right, or amira telling a non-Jew to do something for you, right? Acts as a loophole in the sense that if you have a malacha that is prohibited biblically, bless you, you have a da'oraisa malacha, amira la'akum, doing a dira amira la'akum will change that to make it a? Dirabanan, correct. In the event that, our second one was Shinui, right? In the event that for Shinui, you take it, you perform a lacha de'oraisa, a biblical one, but you do it with a with a Shinui, it is now a? Derabanan, good. Well, not good, derabanans are still asr, but you get the idea. And grama, if I take a malacha de'oraisa and I f- perform it with grama, it now becomes? So in that sense, they all look the same, right? You're taking something that was biblically prohibited, doing it in this way, and now it's only rabbinically prohibited. But here's the catch. When you do malacha with grama, right, your action is fundamentally a da'oraisa action, but you have toned it down, so to speak, to make it a derabanan, right? You've, you've done what should be biblically prohibited in a way that makes it rabbinically prohibited. When you do malacha with a shinui, You've taken a malacha, which should be biblically prohibited. The action is a is a biblically prohibited thing, or the result is, at any rate. You've done it with a shinu, you've done it in an unusual way, and now it's only a derabanan. Amir la'akum is different. Did you do the malacha at all? No. You did nothing. Really, you didn't do the malacha. What you did instead was something else. What you did instead was speech. You told a non-Jew, hey, you know, please take care of this for me. Something which isn't a malacha at all. Speaking to him isn't a malacha. There's a rabbinic decree. We talked about how you know Amir al-Akum is usr, and there was a view that it was biblical, but we decided we don't like that view. We followed the majority view that speaking, telling a non-Jew to do something on Shabbos is a derabanan. It is rabbinically prohibited. 
do you see the difference yet between this and these? Here, you did something that should be biblically prohibited, but now it's rabbinic. Biblically prohibited, now it's rabbinic. Here, you did something which should be nothing. However, the rabbis came along and they said, no, there's a dirabanan against telling a non-Jew to do this for you, right? Vidabar davar, he's your shaliach, all the different explanations that we offered for why. But what that means, what you need to remember, is that therefore, in the event that you do amira la'akum, if you speak to them, you have two possibilities. Either you use the hinting methods that we suggested, in which case it is mutter, it is allowed, or you don't use the leniencies, and instead you just tell them straight, in which case it's asur midirabanan. Am I confusing you yet? It's never going to be a da'oraisa. But what it means is, if you do amira la'akum well, halachically well, it's permitted. If you do it halachically poorly, such as by gesturing, right, where we said gesturing does not count as hinting, then it's a derabanan. So what that means is, when I asked you the question on the quiz, pointing to an elevator button to signal to a non-Jew that they should push it for you, most of you, which is to say, I think all but like two of you who answered this question, a couple of people skipped it, but, but all but two people who answered this question said correctly that pointing is not acceptable, right? It didn't qualify, and therefore they said it's a de'oraisa, but that's not correct. They're right, pointing isn't good, and therefore it's a derabanas. Got it? Amira la'akum is actually, to say it a little bit differently, probably more clearly, but I didn't think of saying it this way five minutes ago, the, the um, grama is a good thing. Right? Grama is a good thing. Grama is beneficial. If you succeeded in performing grama, you're in good shape. Shinui is a good thing. If you succeeded in performing shinui, you're in good shape. You knocked it down from derisa to derabanas. Amira la'akum, telling a non-Jew to do something for you, is the bad thing. It's what you don't want to do. You want to avoid telling them directly. You want to hint to them. You don't want to gesture. You don't want to say, turn on the light. You follow what I'm saying? So what that means is, in the event that you gesture and that qualifies as Amira la'akum, it's actually a derabanan. But Was speech is a debate. Sorry? Speech is. No, speech is, is the amira. That's the problem. So it will be mutter in the event that you do the hinting thing. But in the event that you gesture or in the event that you tell them directly, it's a derabanan. So the correct answer for number three was derabanan. I mean, as you saw on your scores, I gave everybody partial credit for it and really most credit because I understand where the mistake came from. Um, and somehow that makes it less offensive. Um, but understand that it's a derabanan. Yeah? Isn't the difference more that Shinoi and Grandma only have there are ways to do it, they don't have mutter ways to do it. Like, it's not really that you're good that you did a grommet that's better than doing the Well, that's true. Like, you're not okay just because you did a there. Correct. There you could do a completely mutter. That's true. Right, it's a good point. Uh, you hear what Gali is saying? The, um, the, it's not that, right? It, it effectively, Amir Alakum, your scale is Durabana or mutter. If you do it badly, it's Durabana, and if you did it well, it's actually mutter. Doing Amir Laakum as a Dirabanan is actually means you didn't succeed. You didn't do what you were trying to do. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's correct. Okay. 
Um, question four was typing on your phone with your knuckle, right? That one we understood was a de rabbanan, correct. Um, I think people generally got that right. Um, paying a non-Jew a flat fee to record the vital signs of the patients all week, including on Shabbos, is mutter. This is, in fact, what people often do. Um, and then last, opening a refrigerator door and the warm air that enters causes the refrigerator to go on after a few minutes is a? Drabanan. So somebody on their quiz was confused, but legitimately so, um, because they said, well, I know we're allowed to open the fridge, because we do, so how is it that it could be a Drabanan? Um, so the answer goes back to something I spoke about a little bit in, uh, in the shear, which is that when you're dealing with a, uh, with a refrigerator, you have added factors. Um, one being that electricity, according to most poskim, is a derabanan in the first place. So therefore, what you're doing is a grama on a derabanan, as well as the fact that you need food for Shabbos. And so that adds in a, uh, an argument for leniency, plus the uncertainty, maybe it won't happen at all. The, um, there's no guarantee that it's actually going to happen. That adds reason for leniency. So that's why people will, although as I noted in the shear, there are those, there are those postcom who say, no, you have to wait for the motor to be running before you're actually allowed to open the, uh, the refrigerator in order to avoid this. Or I'm told the Shabbos fridge has some kind of a mechanism, and maybe it goes on at specific times or however it works in order to avoid this problem. But, uh, but the answer fundamentally is that it being grama makes it a derabanan. An example of an area where um, you may not have these leniencies would be if you had an oven that was on. Right? The Stark Hay argues regarding warming drawers that this is a problem. That, um, that if you open it on Shabbos to take your stuff out, then it's going to sense the temperature change and therefore it's going to turn on. And therefore, the Star K argues that if you kept stuff in a warming drawer, leave aside other issues of warming drawers, you have to cover the control. I'm not discussing warming drawers as a halachic concept overall, but they say that in the event that you had food in a warming drawer um, on Shabbos, you can only open it once in order to take out the stuff because otherwise, if you're going to keep food in there and you're going to close it, you're doing so in order to have that heat. You wanted the heat to go on. It's actually beneficial to you. So that's their concern. But a warming drawer is different from a refrigerator because when you're dealing with a warming drawer and a heating element, you're now talking to orisas. A heating element that gets hot enough that it glows is different from the electricity in a refrigerator. Yeah. Sorry? Okay. So that's um, that's all just review from, from the quiz. Good? We're clear, I hope? Okay, because you can assume, and this leads me right into my next topic, um, you can assume that you will see questions from the quizzes either directly or very similarly on your midterm. They, um, I, I'm not embarrassed to say I will reuse my questions because they're good questions. So know that one of the best ways that you can study for the midterm is by reviewing the, uh, the quizzes. Yeah? Number one, can you please read? So I might. I might. That's one and two is like do I'm not offended that you delete my emails. What? Okay. Um do you are we open notes for the So okay, so midterm is open notes, but not open computers. 
they, um, I do not want to sit there worrying about proctoring people and walking around the room. To, that's just not happening. So it is, um, what it means is you are going to need to execute some trees. And I apologize to the trees, um, but that's the way it works. So, um, yeah, I tried very hard to actually reduce that this time around. Um, the source sheets that I uploaded afterwards with the recordings, I tended, not always, but I tended to take out the sources that we didn't get to, so that spare you a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it, is, um, it is open notes, but specifically written notes. Um, it is non-collaborative during the exam, just to be clear. Uh, I'm benevolent, but not that benevolent. Um, on March 11th, God willing, we will have a review shear, and then the midterm will be on March 13th. Okay? Any other questions? Yeah, Leah. Can we print out like, any anything, anything either that I gave you during the course of the semester or notes that you took or notes that you begged somebody else to give you is fair game. I believe it's on the 13th. That's what I looked at. The, it's funny because in my original calendar, I had written in the 6th, but... Um, then, but then I looked at the uh, calendar that's on the school website, and it said the following week. So that's why. Sorry. What says the sixth? So, I believe it says sixth for UTS and thirteenth for. The sixth is when it's supposed to be for our slot. Is it really? Yeah. Someone's got to tell me the truth. Now then. Um, our, our topic is skin care. So we're going to be talking about moisturizer. We're going to be talking about medical ointments that are put on the skin or that are applied on a bandage and then put on the skin. Um, and there are two primary issues that we're going to be dealing with. One is an issue called memareach. Okay, memareach means smearing something to make a smooth layer. And then the other is a problem we're already very familiar with, which is the problem of using medication in a case where somebody is only miktas choli or mechush, they have a little bit of an ache, they have a little bit of an illness, but not rising to the level of chol shembo sakana, sakana sever, and so on. So those are the two issues that we have to juggle. There's an issue called molid that will be thrown in there, but it's not the major issue that we're dealing with. So we're going to spend a lot of time today, and I would assume tomorrow, not tomorrow, Monday as well, um, depending on when the midterm is, um, discussing this issue of memareach. So what we're going to do is, first I'm going to present to you the Av Malacha and then the Tolda. Remember that? What is that sound? Okay. The, um, the 39, there are 39 Avos Malacha, central categories of Malacha that we're not supposed to do on Shabbos. However, each of those avos has subcategories, has toldos, descendant forms. They are similar in their method or they're similar in their result. They are also deoraisas. This is something that confuses people sometimes. Avmalacha is a deoraisa. Tolda is a deoraisa. They're both biblically prohibited. I stress that because it's going to come up right now. Um, there is an avmalacha called mimachek. Okay? Mimachek. It's involved in processing hides. So, 
ממחק. I'm about to explain. The ממחק is where you take the leather and you smooth it by scraping or sanding it. If you think of the word mochek to erase, right? You're creating a smooth surface. But mimachek, as an av malachas, applies specifically to a surface that is a hard surface. That's where the av applies. The tolda is what's called mimareach. Mimareach is when you take a softer surface, a pliable surface is the word I'm going to use, and you smooth it, again, to make a smooth surface, the, um, smoothing a softer surface. The issue is still that you're creating a smooth surface. It's just a different kind of material. Mimachek is originally with leather, which is a, is a tough material. It's a resistant material. Memareach is when you're talking about something that's a little bit more pliable, flexible, softer. Take a look at source number one on your sheet, please. This comes from a sefer called the 39 Malachos. It's a four-volume sefer. I don't think I've discussed it this semester yet, have I? Yeah. I have or have not? I have this semester. Okay. Um, so I'll just mention very briefly, it's by Rabbi David, uh, Rabbi David Ribiat. It is um, a very useful um, set of svarim. It has an English part that's, that, that's probably the majority of it, and then they have very good footnotes in the back that discuss things in Hebrew in greater depth. Um, but what he does that's really valuable and sets this set of svarim aside from, apart from others um, is that for each, he goes by each malacha, malacha by malacha, and he carefully defines what is the av, what is the tolda, what is the derabanan, what is the gezerah, and he gives you practical applications along the way. I don't agree with everything that's in there. Um, he actually, there was a, 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 someone told me, someone who was close with him told me a few years ago that he was going to be coming out with a new edition of it, and I sent him a bunch of questions that I had on things that he had in the first one. Um, but I haven't actually s seen anything about the second edition coming out, so I don't know. But anyway, it's a very useful set. So just I, I just want to actually get to the point of this, and then I'll take a question. Yes. Okay. So take a look at number one, where he is defining memachek and memareach. He says, memachek refers to smoothing hard, rough surfaces, for example, wood, or even flexible materials like leather that are firm in the sense that they cannot be readily molded into a shape. Okay, leather is hard to shape. Memareach refers to smoothing soft, pliable substances that may be pressed or molded to a shape, for example, wax. Got it? Daniela? Is there only able to be one toldo? No, absolutely not. There are others that have many toldos. Yeah. So, memareach is our concern for you know, in what we're going to be talking about with moisturizers, ointments, Vaseline, you know, and so on. So the um, there, when you talk about memareach, you have two um, deoraisa cases that show up in the Gemara. Two examples of violating memareach on a biblical level. One is in source number three. It's a mission and Masecha Shabbos. I'm sorry. Oh no, sorry. Source number two. I didn't mean to skip that. The um, source number two. 
Mishnah Mesecha Shabbos. It's talking about using a barrel that has a hole in it as a tap to let the liquid out. And it says, If there's a hole in the barrel, You may not smear wax over the hole. That is an act of smearing. I keep translating as smearing or just writing on the sheet. You'll see both. Um, but um, but that's that's what we're talking about here is smearing the wax over the hole in the barrel and this is brought lahalacha it's brought in shochan aruch arachaim shin yudalid yudalaf that's one example of mimareach um, I don't know who had their hand up first I think Bailey and then Natalie um, for the first uh, source no, it's what you're smearing. Okay. Yeah, like on the cab barrel case, so you're smearing it. What you're smearing onto, and then I was like, yeah. right. How can you smear wood? That's what I was going to ask. No, no, no. The, the wood part is what you're smearing onto. Oh, I see what you're asking. Which is why the Right, okay, now, now I understand the question. Because the, um, the part with the hard, rough surfaces is less about smoothing it like this and more like what I described with the leather, where you're removing things. That are that are disrupting the surface. So in a leather case, you pluck off the uh, the hairs of the animal, right, in order to create a smooth surface. So with the wood, you know, let's say there were splinters that you pick off, that would be an example of a machik. It's sanding it, it would be an example of a machik. Yeah, Natalie, that was your question also. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Others? No. Okay. So, so that's an example of um, of mimareach is smearing wax. A second example is source number three, and this is talking about a plaster, a bandage with ointment on it that you'd put on a wound. If you were to smear a plaster on Shabbos, the plaster is a reference to the bandage with the ointment on it. You'd be liable for memachik, which is smoothing, but what it actually is is not really memachik. It actually means, again, memareach. Memachik is the av. Um, the uh, the tolda is really what's applicable here, and this is also brought in Shulchan Aruch. Yes, So Ricky. this would just be like a bandage with like ointment or something under it? It would be a bandage with ointment on it. That's correct. And the problem is what you're doing here is not on the skin yet. You're taking the bandage and you're applying oh, the stuff to it. And then you put and then you're going to put it on the skin. But right now you're at the stage where you're just applying this onto the bandage. Correct. So these are your biblical prohibitions. Um, then there is a derabanan, because no party is complete without a derabanan. So take a look at source number four. And this is where you're dealing with something that is really more of a liquid, but not fully liquid. It's a thick liquid, and therefore we are concerned that if we're going to allow you to smear this, you will also assume that you're allowed to smear something that is in fact more solid. Take a look at source number four. This is also Gemara in Shabbos. Mishcha. Mishcha is oil. They're talking about using oil to seal a hole in something, and they're talking about a thick oil specifically. So Rav Asar, Rav says you're not allowed to do that. Ushmuel Shari, Shmuel says you are allowed to do it. Manda Asar, the one who prohibits, who is Rav, says Gazrinon Mishum Sha'ava. 
says it's a decree lest you do this with wax. Uman Deshari, Lo Gazrin, and the one who permits, says there is no such gazera, there is so, no such decree. We follow the view of Rav, as we generally do when you're dealing with issues other than financial issues, that, where there's a machlokas between Rav and Shmuel. They, uh, we follow Rav, and therefore we say, Midirabanan, you're not allowed to smear things that are thick, even if they're not actually solid. You follow? Yeah. Correct. However, if it's a true liquid, then you're fine. If you're a tr- if you're talking about a true liquid, there is no concern at all, neither biblical nor rabbinic. What is the definition of a true liquid? So I'm going to give you a more precise definition shortly, but basically it means something that can't form a defined surface because it won't flow everywhere. So when you do the wax, right, you smear wax on something, it's going to stay where you smeared it. It's not going anywhere. When you have something like olive oil, try smearing olive oil, right, what's going to happen to it? Either it'll get absorbed in the surface if the surface is absorbent, or you take your hand away and it's going to flow wherever it wants to flow, wherever, you know, whatever's downhill or, you know, however it flows. But it's, it's not staying in any defined space. So if you're talking about a liquid like that, then there is no problem whatsoever. You may remember the discussion we had about the hangover cure, right? Where they talk about pouring oil on the person's skin. No one raised the problem of, hey, that's memareach. And the answer is, because it's not. It's not memareach. Um, if you take a look at the Mishnah Bura, in source number five, you see it there. Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, Mishnah Bura. Avagav de'ein meruach b'shemen, even though there's no such thing as memareach for oil, asr, we have a rabbinic decree, de gazrinon atushava, lest you do it with wax. Vedavka shemen of, but specifically, thick oil. Kevin de shayach boktsas meruach, asi Because there is some element of smearing involved, and we're worried you might get confused and think, I could do this, and therefore I could do wax as well. So therefore, the prohibition is only with thick oil. Clear? Yeah, Natalie. So they did have pretty good filtration systems. Like they filtered through cloth. You know, it's you know that's pretty good at getting pieces out. Um, I would imagine. The question is, so you know, why in the process of manufacturing would some oils end up thicker and some oils end up thinner? And that may have to do with animal versus vegetable. Um, but I don't actually know that. I don't know. Leah? So he's saying you mean like liquid oil is not right? No, liquid oil is fine. Like liquid oil, but I'm not, the word liquid isn't the right word. Thin oil. Yeah, and keep reading. And specifically thick oil. Well, like, he's saying oil. Yeah, but he's trying to tell you that's specifically thick oil. So Dense oil. oil. So oil which flows more easily will not be a problem. Oil which does not flow so easily will be a problem. We're going to get to some better definitions of this in a minute, so hang in there. Rebecca and then Hannah. Okay. Like when you do, whether like in Av or Ava, are you high for the Av? Like you say, like, oh, this is an 
So we would normally say either the Av or the Tolda. And if they're well, they're not really interchangeable. In the pure sense of it, it would have relevance in the Beis HaMikdash because there's a whole discussion. If you perform two different Toldos of the same Av, do you bring one Chatos or do you bring two Av, two Chatos? So for that reason, it would matter. They, uh, but other than that, as you say, there's no practical application of it. Right. Yes, correct. Hannah? What if you have a thick ointment that presumably becomes like a thin liquid? Would you be able to use it then? Yes. So we're actually going to get to, probably not today, probably, probably um, on Monday, um, we're going to get to the issue of whether you're allowed to actually make it thinner. So for example, there are um, oils which will be more thick at room temperature, but if they warm up a little bit, then they will be um, then will be more liquid. They'll flow more easily. Or diluting it, just pour water into it. Now, water and oil don't mix, so that won't work. But you get the idea. Um, you know, diluting something in order to make it less thick. You know, it happens with liquid soap, as an example. So we'll have to talk about that as well. Bailey. Okay. Go for um, it. But does this translate into like serums and stuff? Because they're mainly liquidy. So I, it applies to anything that we're talking about smearing. Right? So if it's something that gets smeared, it'll apply. Yeah. I and mean, it's not oil specific, if that's what you're asking. Okay. Oils, ointments, Vaseline. Yeah. Okay. Rebecca. Yeah, so that's the question, is why did the Gemara say Mamachik? And I'd have to go back and take a look at it. I was wondering also why it said it. I was planning on looking at it, uh, at it later. Yeah. Which one is it really Right. No, I was waiting for you to ask that question. You didn't, but that's okay. They, um, but no, when I read it out originally, I said it says Mamachik, but it means Mamareach. But I'd want to go back to Ayin Hayom Bays and see, does the Gemara actually discuss that? Because I don't remember. The, um, the, so the Mishnah Bura says... Depends on if it's thick or thin. So what exactly does that mean? So I saw a source, which I was going to put on the sheet, and then got sidetracked and lost it and didn't put it on the sheet. But I think actually before I upload the sheet from the shear, I will probably put it in. Um, from Rabbi Eliezer Malamed in his Pinane Halacha, because he said something which was what I thought, and I actually mentioned it before, but he put it in writing, which makes it you know better, because now it's a legitimate source. Um, the Pnine Halacha, Rabbi Lezer Malamed, who is a, a leading halachic authority in Israel today, somewhat controversial for some of the, uh, the Piskei Halacha he gives, but I don't think this one is controversial. He says, if you want to know, is this considered thick or is this considered thin, your test is simple. Put some of it down on a surface and see what happens. Right? Obviously not a surface that's perfectly flat, perfectly level, because then it's not going to go anywhere just because gravity is holding it down. But a surface where it could flow, right? And then see, does it flow? Does it spread out? Or does it retain its borders? If it retains its borders, then you know that it's a problem for you to smear it, because now you could create a defined smooth surface. If it doesn't retain its borders, but instead it flows, then smearing it isn't going to create a flat, smooth surface anyway, because take your hand away, and now it's going to scatter. Golly, you were going to say? Yeah, it could be thick and still, like, really Right, so the scientists in the room are going to say, come on, that doesn't really help. Especially if 
especially if we're talking about inclining this, right? So what if you incline it a little bit, then it won't flow. But if you incline it more, then a lot of things will start flowing. So how does that really work? So I'm going to get to an answer for the scientists also that will make you very happy. Hang in there. Um, there are a lot of hands up. Ricky. What if, like, you, like, last time you talk about, so hang in there. We are going to we're going to get to that. Hang in there. It's a good question. Not ready yet. Daniela. Sorry. I didn't hear you. Nope. Still didn't hear you. I don't know idea what you're talking about. Ublek is when you mix water and cornstarch. So when you like solid pressure on it, they very solid. And then it's so cool. So I am entirely unfamiliar, but the rules that we're going to describe will apply to all substances, including that. It's what it is in front of you right now that matters. What are you using? The, the issue is whatever it is. When you when you put your hand on this to smooth out the surface, what is it right now? That's what I care about. Not what other properties could it have, and what will it do at a different temperature, or you know, all I care about is what am I creating right now. That's that's the issue. Yeah, Francesca. When we talk about smoothing, we're concerned that like the product itself is a smooth surface. So like when it's thick and viscous, if you like lay it out, it itself is smooth, versus not causing something to be smooth. Well, you are by by setting it out in a way that it. Is that it's a smooth surface, you are making it a smooth surface. It's just I didn't need to do any work for it. I just did so, it. Like something that's thin can still make something feel smoother. What do you mean? Like, if you, you rub oil into something that's really thin, that might make that yeah. smooth now. Oh, you're saying the impact of the oil yeah. on whatever's below yeah. it. That's a very interesting question. So is it not an issue potentially for the oil that I'm you know, pouring out, but now the impact it's having on what's below it? Why isn't that a consideration? Because it isn't a consideration. So I suspect the answer is because you don't do anything active to it. You just pour this on. Mm -hmm. It's not your action that's actually doing something to the uh, surface to below. It but it's a really interesting it question. And that would be like the action. Now this one's causing it to be smooth. Like just pouring it won't do anything. But if I rub it in, now it's smooth. Does it smooth it or does it just soften it? I think it only like softens is, it. Like what does smoothing mean, like practically? Smoothing means, I mean, uh, removing obstacles that keep it from being smooth, like plucking hair off mm -hmm. of the surface, um, sanding it where you know there are disruptions along it, and now I sand it to remove those, um, or what I do with the cream, where I'm laying it out right in such a way that I create a smooth surface with it, as opposed to what if I just dispense it from a tube? And I don't ever do anything to it. That's not memareach. It's only when I start smearing that I have a problem. So, if I just, like, put it on so we're going to talk about that. We'll get there. God willing. Yes. So like, you know, this might be really a stretch, but you know those chocolates that like in the middle has like it's a hard chocolate on the outside, but in the middle it has like the runny, like liquidy stuff. Yeah. You bring them in. Yeah. I don't have any, but I'm no, I, I've you, heard of such things. Like you wouldn't be allowed to spread the chocolate because it's like thicker, but like. If you crush it and opened it, and then all the runny chocolate. What do you do? Why would you do it? If you did, then, I mean, let me. I don't like chocolate. 
let me just point out. Well, let me point out two things then. Number one, anybody who doesn't like chocolate, you have to start questioning. But okay, the, um, that's 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 number one. But number two, um, this does come up. It comes up with icing, right? Or you want to make a jelly sandwich, right? Peanut butter and jelly, or whatever you're doing. They um, hopefully not. They. So, okay. Well, I hate to tell you this, but they should discuss the issue of the Mareach. No, they make it for Shabbos. Oh, they make it in advance. Yeah. Okay, okay. So we'll get to that hopefully next week. Um, so, no. The, um, and yes and no. Hang in there. The, the bio-brain people who want to know how am I really supposed to tell is this an issue or not? Um, the star K feels you and has an answer. The, um, there is a term, which you hopefully have heard at some point, um, called viscosity. Right? Viscosity is the measure of, for our purposes, well, you'll see right here, the property of resistance to flow in a fluid. Meaning, you have a fluid which some will pour well, some will not pour well. The, uh, in the event that it flows really well, it is said to have low viscosity. If it doesn't flow very well, it has high viscosity. The thicker it is, the higher the number. Okay? Viscosity is measured with something called poise. Each unit is a poise, or for our purposes, because it's much more useful for us, centipoise like you have meter and centimeter, right? So it's just a smaller unit of it. 1% of a poise is a centipoise. For those who didn't know that before and don't care, I'm sorry. Um, but the, uh, the point is what Rabbi David Heber writes in his article for the Star K on their website, the Kashrus Shabbos and Pesach Guide to Cosmetics. One of the things that I enjoy about the Star K, and it's something that comes, I think, from Rabbi Heinemann, is that they're very into measuring things. They, um, they, they're the ones who, like, you want to know practical reality? Like, they'll, they'll do that, and they'll publish the results of it. Um, so what you get here is a discussion about measuring these liquids. So take a look. Viscosity is the property of resistance to flow in a fluid. One unit of measurement is a centipoise. Water has a viscosity of 1 cp. Okay, water is your starting point. So if you ever have trouble remembering, I think I saw a couple of people who were confused when I was trying to describe what is low viscosity versus what is high viscosity. The way to remember that something that flows more easily is low viscosity is the fact that water has a viscosity of one. Okay, so that's low viscosity. Water flows very easily. Obviously, room temperature water, not, you know, fine. The viscosity of olive oil is 84 CP. I assume that this is, you know, olive oil without a lot of sediment in it. Doesn't say. The viscosity of store-bought honey at room temperature, which they define as 70 degrees Fahrenheit, is 8,500 CP. Okay, that's a lot more viscous. This is a sample figure because there are other factors that may change the viscosity, type of the honey, water content, fine. We measure the viscosity of various liquids using a, of course, viscometer. Our results indicate that products with a viscosity higher than 600 CP are subject to memareach. So they give you a hard number. 
600 centipoise. Solids and ointments. One may not smear cream or ointment or use bar soap, stick deodorant, or toothpaste on Shabbos. Similarly, one may not apply lipstick on Shabbos. Separate from any discussion of coloring sovea is a discussion of mimareach. This is true even if the lipstick is applied lightly. And then they get into viscous fluids. Thick oils and creamy hand soaps that are viscous and pour slowly are also subject to this prohibition. For example, for the one who asked about hand soap, I think it was Ricky who asked. So soft soap, liquid hand soap may not be used on Shabbos due to its thickness. But then you have fluids with low viscosity. Oils that pour faster with a viscosity of 600 CP or less are not subject to this prohibition. For example, Star K tested Ultra Dawn concentrated dish liquid slash antibacterial hand soap at room temperature and determined that it is permissible to use on Shabbos. So they did, so to speak, a taste test. They, you know, I don't think there was any product placement fee involved in them, you know, testing these. I I hope not. I don't think so. Um, But as we're going to note, you are able to dilute these in order to make them usable. You just need to dilute it to the point where it's going to flow, for which you can use your Malamed standard. Does it retain the structure that you give it when you uh, when you smear it, or does it flow? Or if you get yourself a viscometer, don't measure it on Shabbos. Measure it during the week, and you can determine the viscosity for yourself and impress your friends. You can start a website called memorayach.org. Sorry, I just heard a bell. No, that, I did not hear a bell. So, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you examples. Um, and then we're going to give you a break anyway, so fine. But uh, yeah, I, I did not hear about um, Rabbi Ribiak gives examples for each level, the Deoraisa, the Derabanan, and the Permitted. His Deoraisa examples include chapstick um, and wax for braces, right? Classic problem, right? The braces have a wire, and the wire is poking, and you want to use wax for it. So that's actually potentially a Malacha Deoraisa. That's really bad. So please don't, you know, find, find something else to do with the braces. There are other options. Um, second, the Darabanan includes facial creams, Vaseline. On the other hand, permitted things would include baby oil and truly liquid soap. Truly liquid meaning that will actually flow. Those are, those are his examples. So I'm going to take questions, and then I'm going to give you a break for a few minutes. Um, Rebecca and then Ricky. We'll get to it. Not not this week, but on Monday. We have we're, we're going to discuss lathering as part of this discussion. Okay. Yes, Ricky. I have two questions. Yeah. One, so chapsticks are now permitted, but there's like an aquaphor spray that like you spray it out and it comes out like as a liquid. Would you be able to like spray that on your lips? So it's a spray. Yeah. Like it looks like. like spray. So if it's a spray, if it's a spray, you're fine. Oh, okay. And then also, um, not lipstick, but like clear. I'm assuming you spray it and then you just leave it. Yeah. You're not smearing it after you sprayed it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Clear lip gloss. Lip gloss is like more liquid, and if it's clear, so it depends. No, I would say you don't get out of because some lip glosses are thick and some are really. So it it's been a very long time since I used lip gloss. So the um, so I really don't remember. 
um, I would need to really see it in order to know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give you a break for five minutes, and then we're going to oh, what's I can show? So, how is it dispensed? So the surface that is dispensing it itself. Like you see, it just went down. Like it goes down there, but on that, it gets absorbed into it, so it's not going to move anything. So, so pour it out. Right, so there are a couple of other questions that, that come into play here. One is, is it absorbed in the thing that it's that is dispensing it such that you s- squeeze it in order to get it to come out no. of that? I don't no, no squeezing. You just like apply. Interesting. I don't know. I need to look into it and yeah, have a better understanding of it. So that's a whole yeah. other discussion. Surely, what was your question? Save me. Yeah. So we'll talk about dabbing. Uh, we're going to talk about that. It's going to be Monday rather than today, but we, we will, God willing, get to that discussion. Actually, it may even be today. Come to think of it, we'll see. But right now, I'm giving you a four-minute break, and then we'll uh, and then we'll resume. Sorry. All right, back to the um, yeah, back to this topic of mimareach. So, the result of all of this is that there's going to be a real problem with common cases like ointments and thick oils. But we have three leniencies to know about, and. The first leniency is going to take us more time to discuss and maybe a little more confusing. And then the second and third are pretty straightforward. Um, we've actually already discussed them a little bit. Um, but the first one is the one that takes you know, the most effort to, to follow. And that is a leniency where the ointment is, or whatever it is, is entirely absorbed in the skin. where it is entirely absorbed. Okay? This is only for mimareach thing? As opposed to? Like mimareach. So mimareach, because you're using it with hard surfaces, I don't know what kind of absorption is ever going to be. But what we're talking about here is if you smear a cream and it's absorbed entirely in whatever you're smearing it into. Example, moisturizer, right? You smear moisturizer onto your skin, you actually don't want it to remain on the skin, right? You're trying to get it into, you know, the point is to, for it to be absorbed in the surface. So this comes from a comment by the Magen Avram, which can be a little bit confusing. We're going to see what we can do with it. First, we start with the Shulchan Aruch in source number seven. Rabbi Yosef Karo says, Lo beraglov rok algabe karka mishum mashva gumos. If there is saliva on the ground, somebody spat on the ground. Okay, I apologize for those I have offended. Um, but um, but someone spat on the ground, and you want to just rub it in with your shoe. So he says that's a problem if it's on a dirt floor, and the problem is mashva gumos, evening out holes in the ground, meaning. Dirt floors tend to be uneven, and if you smear liquid into it, it could even out the holes in the surface, and that is an act of construction. 
there's a whole discussion. If it's outdoors, is it an issue of plowing? If it's indoors, is it an issue of construction? I'm not going into that discussion. The point right here is you're not allowed to smooth out holes in the ground. It's not about smearing. That's not the issue. The issue of mashva gumos is the issue of evening out holes in the ground. Avamutar lidorso lafitumo, but you are allowed to trample it as you walk innocently. I'm not trying to. In other words, you know you're walking in an area where people have spat on the ground. You don't have to now try to pick your spot where you're going to land so that you, you don't um, step on this. You might want to avoid it, but that's a different discussion. Because you're not intending, you're not trying to smear or to even out the holes. So he mentions the smearing now. The issue of smearing the saliva on it. Granted, automatically you will end up smearing it. We're still okay with it where it's not your goal. Because it's really disgusting to have puddles of spit on the ground. So that's a factor in allowing you to do this where you're walking and it will happen if you step on it. Nonetheless, we're okay with it. Don't focus on um, the issue of intent, not intent, and it being revolting. That's not our point. The Magen Avram picks up on the fact that this was only mentioned regarding a dirt floor. There are other kinds of floors. There are paved floors, stone floors. They're not new. They existed centuries and centuries ago. Why did you only mention this regarding a dirt floor and not regarding a paved floor? That's the question asked by the Magen Avram, Rabbi Avram Gambiner. And he makes a point which requires one piece of introduction. Based on what we've already said in this source number seven, are you allowed to sweep a dirt floor with a broom on Shabbos? No. No. Why? Evening out the holes. Correct. What about a paved floor? Yeah. Like in your house, assuming you don't have a dirt floor in your house. Yeah. Why? Right. Your floors are already smooth, right? You have you have tile, you have wood, whatever it is. You're not smoothing out the holes when you sweep. So that's actually a machlokas. There is a view that says we don't want you sweeping any surface, even if it's a paved surface, because people will assume that you can smooth sweep any surface and they won't realize it and they'll go sweep the uh, the dirt floor also. However, there is a dominant view which we Paskin like, which says, no, you're allowed to sweep assuming you're dealing with a paved surface. So you can sweep in your house on, uh, on Shabbos. Leave aside separate questions about what you're sweeping and is it a muktzah? That, that, that's not our point. That's not our discussion. So the Magen Avram says in number eight, mashma, the implication of number seven, the implication of the Shulchan Aruch and the fact that it only said it regarding a dirt floor, it indicates that you would be allowed to smear the saliva into a paved floor, according to those who say that we distinguish paved floors when it comes to sweeping, and they were good with that, they'll also be good with this. And he says this requires examination. Why isn't it a problem of memareach? Why is it that you're okay with me smearing saliva on this paved floor? I'm creating a smooth layer. He does not say, because saliva flows easily. That's not his answer. He 
He says, maybe because mimareach is only a problem where your goal is for the liquid, or not liquid, the ointment or whatever this is, the saliva, where you want it to form a layer on top of something else. Avalhacha, but with the saliva, you want this to be absorbed. And therefore, it's not a problem of memareach anymore. That's the argument that he brings. There are some things you could say that would challenge this, but that's the Magan Avram's statement. Ricky. Yeah, because the issue of evening out holes is common to both. But if you're like sweeping, it's like dirty. Or not, sorry. Right. As I, the, um, he's not, I, I, I think I misunderstood you. He's saying that we don't, you don't have a starting point to say you're allowed to smear the saliva on a paved floor if when it comes to sweeping, we don't distinguish between paved and dirt. It's only if you see a halach. Right, we do, but he's saying that's only if you do. That's his opening st- statement. He says, because we distinguish. If you take the view that we distinguish as far as sweeping, we can also draw that distinction and apply it in the case of smearing the saliva. Oh. That's his statement. So that's the Magen Avram's comment. The, um, is that... that you, you only mention dirt floors because in the paved floor you want it to be absorbed and therefore there's no issue of mimareach. There is no surface layer. That's the idea. Yes, Leah. Does this I'm not applying anything yet. Right now, I want to understand the core place where this comes from. You, ju- you can't jump to the applications. Okay? okay so Sorry? Uh, how is it being absorbed onto like a floor like so the idea is what he's suggesting, and frankly, it's a little bit hard, and this is one of my challenges to the Magen Avram, but what he's suggesting is that the saliva will still get absorbed into whatever he's envisioning as a paved surface. Keep in mind, the Magen Avram it lives in 17th century Poland. So I'm not sure what he has that the saliva is like, getting absorbed into, but I'm pretty sure it's not linoleum. Like a, I mean, I know you can't do the dirt because you even it out, but yeah. I feel like it would get absorbed into dirt, but not... Right, so that's this is one of my problems with what right. he's saying. Okay. I have so a I few issues. Picture that it's an absorbable glass. Correct. It's an absorbent paved absorbent. floor. Yeah. Yes. As strange as it sounds to me. Yes, Hannah. What about So it doesn't have the holes that get evened out. It doesn't have the. Uh, yeah, but but you don't but you don't end up evening out holes in it when you right. sweep, right? And right. yeah, I mean, spitting on a carpet is really gross. No, that's just like, as a general principle. There is an isra baltashaktsu. Don't do disgusting things. Okay, so Rishlova Zalman brings this approach of the Magen Avram and says, therefore, if you had a an ointment that was being absorbed entirely in the skin, you would actually be okay. That would not be a violation of Mimareach. That's the idea. Good. That's not on the Sorshi. Sorry? Sorry, that's not on the Sorshi? That, what, the Shomazam? No, I did not. Instead, on the Sorshi, I brought the opposition, which is Rabbi Yeshua Neuvert in the Shemir Shabbos Kehilchasa. And he's a Talmud of Shlomazaman, but he really does not like this. Um, he points out a problem based on a halach in the Mishnah Take a look at source number nine. 
V'lechora yesh lahakshos. He says there's room to challenge this. Yesh lahakshos olav. Mehada simen shin chavzayin, mishnabura, sifkadan tezayin. He says if you were to read the mishnabura, you would find, he says, regarding polishing shoes on Shabbos. The hamoreach es na'olav b'mishcha chayav mishum memareach. The mishnabura says if you polish shoes on Shabbos, you're liable for memareach. He says, I don't understand. He says, everybody knows that the goal when you polish the shoe is for the cream to get absorbed in the leather. So if you're telling me that where it's absorbed, there's no issue of memareach, why is shoe polish a problem? Everyone understands the problem? Sorry? Leave aside Sovaya concerns. He says, he says the Mishaburah says Memareach. The truth is, if you look up the Mishaburah, he doesn't actually use the word Memareach. But that's the way he's reading the Mishaburah. The, um, so he says, what's going on? Why isn't this an issue? Why, why is this an issue for shoe polish and not an issue for saliva? So he says, I think the answer is, because the Magen Avram doesn't mean what you think he means. He says, the Magen Avram's point is not whether you want it to get absorbed in the material. The Magen Avram's point is you want to destroy this thing. The saliva, you want the saliva to no longer exist. That's what you're doing when you stamp the saliva. You're not thinking about, is it absorbed in the surface? Is it not absorbed in the surface? You want there to be no saliva on the ground. That's your goal. You want to eliminate it. That's why it's not memareach. V'shalok kavanas hadas Torah, he's building on the Da'as Torah, which is a sefer, explaining what the Magad of Ram said. He said, I don't think the Da'as Torah is correct. V'zelo shayach lomar benidon didan. I tried to bold certain words to make this easier because it's a long source. He says that's not relevant in our case in the ointments that people put on their skin. It's true that you want to cause the ointment to be absorbed in the flesh. It's not because you don't want it to exist. Just the opposite. This is the way that you use these moisturizers. In other words, the moisturizer is only going to work if you cause it to be absorbed in the skin. You want it to exist in the skin. That's his argument. Just like with the shoe polish. He says, you, you want the polish to be absorbed in it, and you want it to be, a, um, you want it to, to be there. You're, you're not looking for it to... Uh, to to cease to exist. It's not true. It's just not so. So he says, you, you misunderstood the Magen Avram. The Magen Avram's leniency is only smearing something that you want to obliterate. That's where smearing is going to be okay. Not where you want it to be absorbed. Then he offers a possible other explanation for why the... Um, why the Mishnabura prohibited in the case of the shoe polish. I'm going to say it outside of the text because I'm worried about running out of time, but you can see it in the last paragraph of source number nine. He says, maybe you could argue, you know why the shoe polish case is not allowed, but the saliva case is? Because in the shoe polish case, you want 
the shoe polish to be detectable on the surface. You want it to create a shine so that the surface is shiny, right? Leave aside coloring it if you're using a coloring shoe polish. But he's saying you want to shine the shoe as opposed to smearing the cream where you don't want it to be visible. So maybe that's the distinction. So if you make the distinction between the shoe case and the ground case, where you say the shoe case is not allowed, the ground case is allowed, his first argument is that the difference between the shoe case and the ground case is obliteration. In the shoe case, um, you want it to remain your intent is for it to remain. In the ground case, your intent is to obliterate it, to destroy it. That's the difference. In which case, the ointment, according to this, is more like the shoe case. You want it to remain, and therefore it will be just as prohibited as the, oint- as the, uh, as the shoe polish case. Whereas, the second approach is, it's about visibility on the surface. In the shoe case, you want it to be visible, and therefore, it's a problem. In the ground case, the saliva on the ground case, you want it to be invisible, and therefore, it's permitted. And in the ointment case, you also want it to be invisible, and therefore, it will be permitted. You follow? That's not a bad chart. They, um, so that's the other way that you can go with this. You can take a picture of it. That's fine. They, um, but the bottom line out of this, right? The bottom line out of this whole discussion is the Shmir the Rav Neuvert, the Shmir Shabbos Kilchasa is not convinced by this approach. By the by by sorry, he's not convinced by the surface visibility approach. He really believes that it's about the intent, and therefore he thinks the ointment is not allowed. He is not happy with it. But you have a leniency, according to Shlomo Zaman Orbach, which is pretty good. Now, last note, which I didn't put on the sheet, but I'm going to send out on the sheet, because I should have had it on the sheet in the first place, but it's part of that source that I lost when I was making the sheet. Um, Rav Malamed says, I don't think this works at all. You know why? Sorry? This heter, this leniency of does, do you want it to remain, or do you want it to obliterate? Leave scratch that. The whole heter of it's entirely absorbed in the skin, he says is incorrect. It's not true. Because all of these creams that people use, not all of these creams, but like the moisturizers and whatever, they create a surface layer. And it's part of their function is for there to be a layer on the skin. It's not truly fully absorbed. So if Malamid says... It may be a fine heter, but it doesn't actually work. Meaning it's, it's a fine heter in theory, but it doesn't actually apply to the cases of ointment. I mean, I'm going to put that in my notes too. It's, good. it's a good chart. Um, but that, you follow what, he, what his objection is? So therefore he says, even if it's a fine heter, it doesn't apply here. That's the option. We're going to review this in the beginning on Monday also because I had to rush the ending a little bit. We'll also see the two other heterim and we'll get to lathering and dabbing stuff on the surface and other ways to permit it. Um, and Monday is going to be March 4th. So after we finish this, if the, if the midterm really is on March 6th, then we're going to do our review the rest of the time on, uh, on Monday. 
Okay. Thank you. Thank you.